Welcome in to the Dual Threat, the Delayed Threat podcast, at least for this week. I'm your host, Ryan Rosillo. Please subscribe, rate, and review to Dual Threat. And here's the deal, man. A um, couple, I think, just clerical things that we have to get out there. There's uh, usually a Wednesday release for this. We're going to get this one out as soon as possible. I was back in Bristol, Connecticut, and doing the Sports Center deal with the NBA season starting up uh, with Van Pelt. And we did a little college football in there, too. I've been on the road a bunch, so I ended up staying in uh, New England, which is six states. And I only went to, yeah, two of them. So it's not like I did the whole thing. And the Red Sox were playing game one of the World Series. So on Monday, I said, you know what? I was this. It's really crazy, too. I was this close. I was in my hotel room in West Hartford, and I was this close to going, all right, I'm just going to book this flight and get out of here. And then the one flight that I wanted, they didn't have. And then right as that was happening, I got another call. I told the travel agent, I go, hold up. Wait. And I don't need you to book that flight because I'm going to Beantown. So I went to the Celtics loss on Monday at home against Orlando. The Celtics look terrible, but this isn't a basketball podcast, so can't get too deep into that. But they did look really bad. I'm also not that worried about it. And then I went to game one of the World Series. My buddy Hal, great time. Hal is from Boston, which I know shocks you. And I actually sat a few rows to the left, like two rows to the left of Bill Simmons. Yeah, the sports guy. So pretty interesting. So the Sox are 2 I'm back in L.A., and I'm not going to any of the Dodgers games because I'm actually headed back down south tomorrow. A couple stops, and then on my way over to Baton Rouge for another Alabama LSU in the long chapter of, of me going to that game since 2008. Missed one, though. So, you know, not 100% attendance rate, so I apologize. But while I was doing all that stuff, guess what I did do on Monday night? I use Hotel Tonight. Let's talk about Hotel Tonight. By showing you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. I'm driving in, I'm on the Pike East, and I got nowhere to stay. The World Series is in town. We know the Orlando Magic fans travel hard, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to get a hotel room. What do I do? Well, good thing I have the Hotel Tonight app because I looked, and I kept looking, and I'm like, is this going to be worth it? Is this going to work? A little pricey because it was the World Series. But that's because Hotel Tonight siphoned through all the other stuff. They have in this other deal where, like, if you book enough rooms, they give you these, these short window deals where it's like, hey, you have 15 minutes to book this room, and it's a much better deal. So Hotel Tonight hooked it up. A guy like me, last-minute travel. It's perfect for you. You can book ahead. Uh, and even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, and more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. And honestly, dude, I paid for that room on Monday. They didn't. I did. So that's just me talking to you, just just hanging out before we get to all the good football stuff. I'm going to do a bunch of NFL and college. We have no guests today. I'm your guest. Deal with it. Um, oh, we also want to mention this podcast, right? Jessel Nick's deal and Rosenthal. It's yeah. called the Vanity Project. Thank you, Kyle. How are you, by the way? I'm great. I'm doing great. Things you look a little up. disheveled today. I'm not going to admit. I saw you outside vaping. What's up? <laughs> what flavor vape is that? Uh, that's the mango. That's the mango. That right is there. the mango. Sorry, right. I'm offsetting it with cigarettes every hour. So no, I don't mind. You're you're allowed to vape around me. I don't care. I don't know about in studio. That's not really my call. I'm only doing one day a week here, so I don't want to start running this place. But, um. I actually do have a great Simmons story from game one because we had both walked up to use the bathroom at the same time. But I don't know if I want to tell the story. I think I want to save it for the next time he and I are on each other's pods. Because if I tell it, I think it's going to make it sound like I'm making fun of him. And I'm definitely not making fun of him. 
Um, and some would say, oh, that's because you're doing a podcast for him. I think I would make fun of him if I wanted to. I just, in this spot, it was something that was incredibly, incredibly funny. He and I started dying laughing because of how funny it was. But if I do it without him, it's going to make it seem like I'm taking a shot. And Is I'm there not. a chance he brings it up on his pod and he'll be like the first guy to do it? I think we both know that if Bill forgets it, it'll be forgotten forever. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it once, like there's different categories of stuff that he's going to remember and he may have already forgotten about this and will need it to be reminded. So I don't know that it was significant enough to be something that he's been thinking about sporadically days removed from game one. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah. I don't know that anybody should. It was just for me, it was really funny. And then he and I were dying laughing and it was a guy that wasn't making fun of Bill at all. It was a guy that was complimenting Bill on something. And the way he did it was just, I think I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. All right. So there's a tease for you next time we're together. Cause I didn't really like last week's podcast. I'll be honest with you. Like last week in general, I don't think I brought it the way I normally would, even though Bill's Saquon Barkley may be the best running back of all time theory. I didn't really know what to do with it. I just was like, wait, so you're serious? Like you're arguing this? And I just sort of let it go. But I mean, I have a pretty simple rule about anything. If you're going to be the best ever, like DiCaprio's really good, but Everett Gilbert, great, even though he was great in that, like, can you just say, okay, it's going to be him? Like it felt a little too soon. Now, could it end up being right? Sure. Could Saquon end up being right? But I mean, even Mahomes, Mahomes is insane, the stuff that he's doing. Okay. But what if I had gone on Bill's podcast and said, you know, I think Mahomes is already the best quarterback who's ever played the position. Like, you can't say stuff like that. And I just, I kept looking at Bill thinking, you're really doing this. And uh, I'm not a huge Emmett Smith guy, so I couldn't argue Emmett. I mean, you know, look, Peterson, OJ. I didn't even know what to do with his OJ joke. I'm so trained by ESPN. I'm like, we just, what are we doing here? That's doing the internet. Mur- we're doing murder jokes? So <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like that pot. And then Bill's like, I'm going to go back and listen. I go, I know you don't really love college football, so I don't know that you're going to love the whole conference breakdown of 60 teams out of a conference schedule. I don't know that you're going to enjoy that part of the pot. But we're going to have fun today. What's that? It was quick hits. It was quick hits. It was quick, just just one biters (laughs) the whole way through. So here's the deal. The Jesselnick and Rosenthal Vanity Project, comedian Anthony Jesselnick, and best friend and NFL analyst Greg Rosenthal. That's a great... If you're friends with either Jesselnick or Rosenthal and you're not one of these two guys, do you hear this read and get pissed off? You're like, wait a minute, so you guys are tier ones and that's it? Anyway, um, Rosenthal had a podcast that was an NFL podcast called The Rosenthal and Jesselnick Vanity Project. That show ended, but hope remained that they would one day return. Great news. They're back. Now part of Comedy Central's podcast network. Anthony and Greg will discuss sports, current events, and everything in between. The Rosenthal and Jesselnick Vanity Project is dead. Long live the Jesselnick and Rosenthal Vanity Project. Catch new episodes every Tuesday night wherever you listen to your podcasts. Something else went on there, negotiation-wide, or just... I don't know, to reverse the names. Or maybe they, that's, that is friendship. That they said, well, when, whenever we change our podcast because we're best friends, you can have your name first after I had my name first. That's an unbelievable compromise. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and believe that their friendship is real, that it is that good. What to do first? Let's do college football. Top of mind. End with this weekend. And now that it's kind of when I'm taping this later in the week, a little bit of a look ahead. So with the whole purpose of this podcast and the way we wanted to do it. And Kyle, we're going to have to talk about getting hooked up in Nashville. I'm already working on it on the ground, feet on the ground. I'll probably just send out a tweet. Does anyone have a studio in Nashville where I can tape a podcast for a couple hours? But the original idea would be to do this at night, right? Once the college football playoff rankings come out. Well, those rankings are coming out next Tuesday and I am your guy. I am your guy 
to guide you through all of this stuff because I not only have done two different mock committee things that took all day, I've had the committee chair on after the rankings came out every single day for four straight years, and I think I'm the only guy that did that at least that quickly afterwards. Maybe it's Reese Davis, but I'm not even 100% sure because Reese Davis makes up stuff all the time. Everybody knows that about Reese. Anyway, um, if I look at just the college ball part of this, uh, Ohio State, let's start there. What's up? Okay. Ohio State loses to Purdue, and it wasn't fake. Like, it felt real. They couldn't block Purdue. And they had to throw it a million times. Like, not only did they allow pressure and did Purdue put up a huge number on them, when you watch it play out, like, there's so many times where you go, okay, this is kind of a weird, fluky win, or, you know, that shouldn't have happened, or there's an explanation behind it. And then there's times where you watch games, and the term we used to always use, you go, that wasn't a mistake. Purdue kicked the crap out of Ohio State. How is that supposed to happen? Because what happens every year, right? All the presumed teams that win three or four weeks in, they're all 3-0, 4-0, maybe say even 5-0. We go, oh, you know, this isn't, what does is it, what does it matter? We're like, no, dude, teams are going to lose. There's likely only going to be one undefeated out of this group of four. Like, we will have a two-loss team in the playoff at some point. Um, we've already had the situation where it was two teams from the same conference. And I'm going to get into some of the conference stuff and how the committee works and all of these things and a new feature that is titled this tweet pissed me off. I don't know if that's the best title for it, but that's definitely something I want to do. Ohio State drops nine spots to 11th, but here's the thing, Ohio State fans, is you're actually not out of this because it's pretty simple. If you go the rest of the way, beat Nebraska, win at Michigan State, and I think Michigan State to this point is now that team that you're not really quite sure what you're going to get on a Saturday. They're good. D'Antonio's terrific. We know that they're really good at certain times. You know, their offense couldn't do anything against Michigan um, a couple weeks ago, and honestly, you know, the more the more I've watched Michigan State, the more I realize like they're just that team that's kind of a, a tough out. But they put up only seven points. That was just last Saturday against a Michigan team. So the reason why we care about Michigan is because if you're Ohio State, you care about the fact that the way the rest of the schedule goes. And I spent way too much time talking about Michigan State. I apologize, but Ohio State. Nebraska at Michigan State at Maryland and then against a number five Michigan and Michigan to this point should be clean the rest of the way. They have Penn State coming up. That's um, that's next weekend. So not this weekend at Rutgers, Indiana, and then again, Ohio State. So I think Penn State is still a a good win, but I've watched them enough to know that they're sort of fluky. I mean, they almost lost to App State. Then they destroyed Pitt. They were losing to Illinois in the third quarter and then put up 63 points on them. I was at the Ohio State game. That game could have gone either way. Then they lose to Michigan State, so it's back-to-back losses there, back to our kind of Michigan State. Like, all these teams are kind of good here. I'm not sure that any of them blow me away. Um, They beat Indiana, and I feel like Indiana is a team I've said year after year. I feel like it's four or five years where I go, hey, you know, sneaky, kind of okay and competitive, the Hoosiers. But it doesn't really mean anything. And now they've got Iowa. So Iowa, on the other side, is this team that could be kind of sneaky, maybe even a fake good team from the West. Because the Big Ten West has this way of working out where you're like, wait a minute, is Northwestern good? I don't know. They're four and three with wins against Purdue, Michigan State, Nebraska, and then Rutgers. But they're in first place in the Big Ten West. Wait wait a minute. Isn't Wisconsin supposed to be awesome? Well, they're supposed to be. Then they lost to BYU. And then they got housed at Michigan on a Saturday night just a couple weeks ago, but they're still alive in this thing because they're three and one of the conference and they're the team that actually beat Iowa. And then you get to Iowa and you go, well, wait a minute, they're three and one as well in the Big Ten West. I'm not, I'm not, you know, look, I probably should include Purdue in this whole thing because they're three and one on that side too. But when you get to play Nebraska, 
who's losing to everybody, although not as bad as that record is. Minnesota, uh, depending on what your cross Big Ten matchup is. And this happens with all conferences. I mean, it was happening in the SEC East there for a bunch of years before Georgia had this resurgence, where it just felt like whoever won the SEC East was just the best of a group of teams that guaranteed you like four or five conference wins, depending on how bad the bottom of it was. And the Big Ten West has had that. That was back to my old Bo Pelini days, where I remember going on in Nebraska, and they were like, you know, should you fire Bo Pelini when you look at the overall record? I go, yeah, well, you got to dig a little bit deeper. He, they never played anybody out of conference, and he gets basically six wins because of how bad the rest of that deal is, and as soon as they have to play somebody good, they lose to him, and they get smashed by him. So if the Big Ten West has, I don't even know if Wisconsin would be really good. I don't know if Iowa will be really good. I don't know if this sends Purdue in a direction where all of a sudden they're terrific because their losses are all really close games against Northwestern, Eastern Michigan, and Mizzou to start the season. They've beaten BC. They crushed BC when people thought BC was good in week four. They beat Nebraska. They beat Illinois, destroyed them. They beat Ohio State. So maybe they're the best team here in this. But what I'm saying is is that for anybody that's writing off Ohio State after that loss, you can't because there likely will be one of these Big Ten West teams. So Ohio State beats Michigan, and they beat a team that at least either in reality is really good or they're sitting there at 11-1, and and it feels like, wow, that'll be a top-10 team that you end up beating. So you can't write them off. All right? So that's one of the first rules as we make our way through the Big Ten. Here's now time for a segment that we call, and we're just going to tape this production here live. This tweet pissed me off. Because I have other things, Kyle, that I'd like to do, so we just do it. Like, this is how Kornheiser used to do it back in the day. He'd be annoyed and wouldn't want to stay around after the show, so he would just tape all the production (laughs) stuff during the radio show. I personally loved it, and... I think they probably did let him get away with it, but there was probably some suit that's like, I don't think that's great content. Well, the reason why it's good content is because it's different and stupid. So let's just do it here. Ready? This tweet pissed me off. All right, so can we throw that in some production next week? Oh, yeah. Done. And we'll here, here's some other fillers if I come up with any other football theme segments. Ready? Rolling? Rolling. Quick hits. Hot route. Audible. The Playbook. Any given Sunday. The Blitz. All right, we're good. So this tweet pissed me off. Uh, A buddy. No, not a buddy. I don't even know who the guy is. Originally, it did start with a friend, Chris Felica, who is terrific with the uh, gambling pod that they do with Sanford Steve. Uh, They're just good. They're really into this. And some would say obsessed, maybe unhealthy. But he tweeted out before the Ohio State-Purdue game, he goes, the last time Ohio State was this big of a favorite on an opponent's home field was at Iowa last year. The Buckeyes lost that game 55-24 as a 20-and-a-half point favorite. Whoa. Was he giving you free money there or what? So before the game even started, I tweeted out, I go, wait, was that the same team with an extra loss that some were arguing should be in the playoff over Bama? And if you go back to my playoff debate last year where I basically lost my mind on the radio show, but it was for good reason. And look, I really felt that way is that I'm always going to tell you, like, I'm not the biased guy. All the people that are claiming biased usually are the most biased people out there. I love Joel Clapp, but I thought that it was pretty clear that they weren't even mentioning Alabama during the big 10 championship game and were, were clamoring for Ohio state to get in. All right. So I went off my man, Cannell, who I sat next to. And by the way, we're going to have Clapp on and we're going to have Cannell on at some point. Cannell is slowly driving himself insane with all this SEC stuff at the points where I even feel bad for him. Like I read it and go up. I would pick that apart in two minutes, but I lay off. I don't retweet. I don't bring up the other bad tweets. Although 
when he was arguing that NC State should be much higher, and the only reason they weren't is because they were in the ACC and not the SEC. It's like, or have you watched them play? Have you seen their schedule? Their best, their best game on their schedule right now is a canceled game against West Virginia, and then they got absolutely stomped. Even though I do think NC State has some talented players, but Clemson is starting to, you know, get that thing. Eh, eh. You know what I'm saying? So when people were arguing Ohio State with two losses as the conference champ in over Bama, when the whole point of the committee is what? We want the four best teams, right? We don't worry about conferences. I tweeted out my point. And then an Ohio State fan, shockingly, tweeted out this. He was like, it wasn't that we thought Ohio State was better than Alabama. It was that the committee lied to us. Return, return, return. So like three spaces do better. Your tweet better be fucking locked up tight if you're going to say to me, do better. Because I do better. As I said before, I think I'm one of two, unless Reese Davis is lying, maybe one guy in the entire country that has talked to this committee every single week and gone through the process himself twice. The committee tells you stuff and then doesn't. And that seems simplistic and vague, but that's the point, okay? If you ask the committee chair, which we will, Rob Mullins, hope to have him on, AD of Oregon, terrific guy, awesome job, one of the best ADs out there. If you ask him if conferences matter, they'll say no. Like, well, how could you guys not have some predisposition to thinking one conference is better than the other? Like, how do you guys put this thing together? Of course they think some conference is better than other. I know for a fact, okay, there was a year where there was just the room was down on one conference, okay, for a fact. I'm not even going to tell you what happened with that conference or what didn't, but I'm telling you for a fact. I know there was a year where the committee was just like, what stuff I'd heard was, ah. Eh, you know, we just don't think this conference is real. It's human nature. You have an opinion on everything, okay? You are predisposed to think, oh, you know what? I kind of think this will happen. And then it doesn't, okay? So then maybe you're wrong. But the committee, and this is the whole point, the committee can never say to you, we absolutely rank the conferences. Why? Because then they'd have to tell us. And that would piss all of you off even more. That's the whole point. Hey, do conference championships matter? And I know that's what the Ohio State fan is getting at when he's saying that's why they lied to us. Yeah, they told you they matter. They told you strength of schedule matters. They told you home and home road matters. It tells you, you know, like injuries will take into account if there's some, they're going to tell you all these things, but honestly, what they're doing is they're telling you things to never make it specific. The rule of anyone speaking on behalf of the playoff committee and I have much more respect for, obviously, the committee chairs than, say, Bill Hancock. But their job is by design to be vague, to eliminate any more specific follow-up questions. And how do I know that? Because I'm the guy that had to ask them these questions every week after the rankings came out. Okay? I am educating you here. This is free. This podcast was free. You had to hear about Hotel Tonight and Jessel Nick's podcast. But for the most part, it's free. And I'm just, like, I can't express this to you enough. There's no there's no hidden agenda in it other than it's 13 people sitting in a room trying to figure out who those four best teams are. And if their goal, as stated from the beginning of this thing, was four best teams and they just thought Bama was better than Ohio State, then they were going to go ahead and do it. And it was really easy to come to that conclusion based on the fact that Ohio State had an awful loss at Iowa. And it was also their second loss. If they were a one loss Big Ten champ, then maybe they get in. And then people can say, oh, see, conference championships do matter. Almost every version of this playoff, you're going to have a different set of events 
that would give you a different definition or allow you to believe in a different criteria where I, all my whole point is that after 20 years of this stuff, we're going to have so much more information that we're going to see all sorts of end results that aren't specific to one. So in that year, Bama, just last year, they go, we're taking the better team. And so the committee didn't lie to you. If the committee said conference, what is the committee supposed to say? Conference championships mean nothing. No, conference championships mean something if it's two teams that they feel are absolutely equal. And Alabama, which they thought was the better team, which, by the way, was the better team, even though they lost to Auburn and didn't get to play in their conference championship game, that's why they put them in. So that's that's the game, man. That's the lesson. Rewind that and play it slow if you didn't get it the first time. So that's a new segment we're going to do. This tweet pissed me off. So um, running through the rest of this, Real quick on Iowa there, if they can get a win at Penn State, that would start this whole thing up. And and just a quick reminder here, if you don't start in the top 10 of next week's college playoff rankings, don't worry. Ohio State, number 16 in 2014, got in, won the whole thing. I believe, Yeah, that was when they lost to Virginia Tech at home and then went through all the quarterbacks. Uh, and then Oklahoma was number 15 in 2015, both made the playoff. Okay, so there you go. Texas, look out. This is worth bringing up here because if you start looking at Texas and the way the rest of this stuff works, Texas sits at number six, but their loss has got to be worse than everybody else's, right? So we're undefeated Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame. LSU's loss at Florida is a better loss than Texas's loss to what's sort of supposed to be neutral site Maryland. I mean, if you really want to argue the Longhorns thing that the Maryland loss is more of a home field thing because it was closer, like, all right, I mean, I guess we could do that, but. It's going to be harder for me to find the worst loss. Let's see if we can do it quick. Michigan's loss is to the number three team in Notre Dame. And that is now, by the way, Notre Dame fans that are arguing you beat the number five team with your backup quarterback, you guys can shut up. I didn't realize. Someone alerted it to me. And I said, are people really saying that? And then I heard it in a Feinbaum promo. And I went, that's atrocious. Wimbush was not Chase Bryce here, okay? Wimbush was a dude who won a ton of games and was your starting quarterback and was going to be far more comfortable in that game against Michigan, and that's why he started that game against Michigan, even though I think Book was was nipping at the heels there. And I never loved Wimbush, but you can't, as an Irish fan, go, hey, we're awesome, we're number three, we're undefeated, and by the way, we beat number five with a backup QB. No, dude, like, don't do that. Okay, so Georgia, their loss smashed against LSU, but a better loss than Texas. Oklahoma's loss to Texas. There you go. Florida, their loss is actually to number 12, Kentucky. So that one doesn't look bad right now. Uh, Kentucky's actually in first place, obviously, in the SEC East. Wins Central Michigan, Florida, Murray, um, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and then that Vandy burner that we saw the other night. I don't know how good Florida is. Well, Felipe Franks is better. I know. I, look, I know their defensive personnel is insane. Okay, just give yourself a good 10, 15 minutes. Watch their D-line linebackers work. It's nuts. It's what won the game against LSU. And the fact that Felipe Franks, who I haven't loved, I thought in that game against Vandy, I go, you know what? I think they're going to come back. It didn't look like it. And then he was, he's good. He's getting a little bit better. And then you have good old UCF. Now, the UCF dudes, we'll get to you in a second. But Texas, look out. Because they've got at Oklahoma State, if they beat West Virginia, that's going to be kind of it. Because then they're at Tech, Iowa State, and then at KU. So they're one to look out for in this playoff deal. Absolutely. Oklahoma still has, um, they've got Oklahoma State, and then they have to go to West Virginia at the end of the year. So if Texas takes care of West Virginia, then it's probably a wrap, right? 
where this could get weird is if West Virginia beats them and then Oklahoma beats West Virginia, you know, then we're starting to look at like some, some different stuff here. Uh, the old tiebreak rules with the BCS were atrocious. Um, UCF, I will mention this as of right now, you're number 10. People are like, this is, this is bullshit. We should be in there. I don't know. I'm just not one of those guys. Their strength of schedule non-conference is 125. I know they beat Auburn last year, but there's a big difference between what UCF is coming off of last year and what Boise State was in 2009, 2010, because that was always the year we thought we could finally see this, a team break through and be playing for a national title, even though like, look, when you're in the whack, I'm not going to respect you as much as a power five. And when Chris Peterson, who's an amazing coach, his whole resume comes up, what his win loss is, you know, I can't put him with Saban when I go, that's incredible. But like, seriously, you get four wins that nobody else would get. Like it's auto four with some of those. I just, I, I don't think that that's that hard to explain. I don't think it's really dogging those other programs. It's just hard for me to ever believe that over the course of 12 games that you would have the same records. I think that's, I actually think that's common sense, but Boise in 2009 went 14 and zero and finished fourth in the final AP poll. So they had all of this momentum come off of the next year. And you're like, well, wait a minute, shouldn't UCF, we made up championship t-shirts and shit. Okay, but the problem is, is that you haven't done what Boise State did at the start of that season in 2010 is that they beat Virginia Tech 33-30. It was a terrific game. It was Landover, so, you know, technically neutral site there, but still for Boise State to have to play Virginia Tech in Maryland. So that was a really impressive win, and Tech was ranked 13th at that time. And then they beat Oregon State back when Oregon State actually used to still be ranked at times. They were to start that year. Um, and then they lost. They lost. I was already preparing to pronounce Nevada. Uh they lost to Nevada, and they were number three in the country. And the whole AP, man, Boise was three to start the year in the preseason. They stayed at three. They dipped to four. They went to two for three or four weeks. They dipped to four. And then going into that game against Nevada, they're ranked number three. They lost, and just they couldn't make a kick. And they ended up winning their bowl game. And, and their final AP ranking that year was ninth. But the point is, is that had they won, had they held on, there's a really good chance they were playing for a national title that year. But what they did was they carried over from 2009's undefeated season and played a big boy immediately in 2010. And unfortunately for UCF, that was not who you played. You played UConn. All right. And then we can go through the rest of the schedule and their canceled game against North Carolina. And, oh, nobody wants to play us and all this stuff. Uh, it's going to be really tough because the only other ranked team you're going to have this year on your schedule, uh, actually the only one, will be UCF. Or excuse me, USF. So those can be confusing at times. So I think that's pretty much it. Oh, people want me to apologize for Oregon because I did on last week's pod how they would beat all these teams. You know what? Here's the deal. I think Oregon's really good. And now they have two losses, so they're out of this whole thing. It doesn't matter. They were about to get run off the freaking field at Wazoo, Washington State, hosting game day for the first time ever, right? And your man, <laughs> Minshew, with the stash and the attitude, that place was awesome. Washington State has now looked like the Pac-12 favorite out of all this. They still have to play at Stanford this week. And then again, to finish with Washington, that one's going to be at home. The Apple Cup that used to be called the Crapple Cup for a couple of weeks, which wasn't an, uh, that was not a compliment. But, you know, Washington's kind of the only hope right now because Washington, although in first place with a better conference record, has two losses. Oregon, who I think might be better than all of these teams. And I can't do that anymore, right? They have the two losses. But if you watch that game out, look like they're going to get run out of the building 28 nothing at that point. Um, yeah, because they had a late score there. No, it was 27 nothing at the half. My apologies. 
And then Oregon puts up 17 in the third quarter. They had a couple chances. They ended up having to go for field goals. So, yeah, I just think Oregon's good. It's going to be tough for me to convince anybody, yeah, they're better than Michigan. Yeah, they're better than, you know, Texas. Yeah, they're better than Florida. I, you know, whatever. I mean, they're 19th in the country. They have the two losses. They dropped seven spots. I'm over it. I guess I'm wrong. And Washington State deserves all the love here because they might be the last hope. But the problem is they're out of conference is Wyoming. Shout out to Jackson Hole. San Jose State and Eastern Washington. And with their loss, a three-point loss at USC. So that might be their only hope because then you get to start going to Pac-12 conference that we're not that sure about. Can they get two teams in? Speaking of two teams, if Georgia loses to Florida this week, then Georgia's not even close to being the team that I thought they were going to be. Uh, again, I like Florida. I think it's a it's not a, it's certainly not an easy game. But if Georgia was this team that were going, hey, they should be they could easily be like the second team that gets into the national championship. Or if Alabama's undefeated and Georgia rolls through there with only one loss and it's a close loss, Bama gets back in. I don't know. A lot of stuff that I think about Georgia and maybe would be more of an explanation of why the hell they get LSU just pounced him. LSU had big plays left and right. And this all leads to what will be the biggest game in Bama at LSU, where again, I'm headed down there for it. I love this game. It's probably one of my favorite sporting events. It's something I you know, always joke about hoping to do. If I ever made bleep you money, I might just get a condo in Baton Rouge and go to eight games and just wear a hat and be like, what year are you? Be like, ah, man, don't worry about it. Online credits. But as great as I think LSU can look defensively, and I think there's certain snaps in games, you know, and I watch all these teams play. Like they have, there'll be moments with LSU where I go, they have more dudes than anybody else. This is insane. And then you're going to go up against Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, and Henry Ruggs the third. Don't want to leave out Devontae Smith. But even Irv Smith, look at their long touchdowns. 81 yards, 94 yards, 57 yards, 57 yards for Devontae Smith's biggest play. Irv Smith, 76 yards. You are going to blow coverages against Alabama, and you're combining it with Tua, who has a release that I'm a little surprised. I understand it's because he's a sophomore, but I'm a little surprised that there's not more love for him as a top pick in the draft. I guess... I don't know. Is it just because of his size? I mean, he's sturdy. He's not real tall. I don't know if he's really 6'1". He's listed at 6'1", 220. Um, his release is is ungodly. Like, it's it's nuts. And we could say, oh, it's the right system, all these different things. Man, I don't know. I watch a ton of these guys putting up huge numbers. And they don't have a release like this guy. So as much as I can like LSU's defense, and I like the fact that Burrow at quarterback has provided them bigger plays, and I do like their receivers, I just don't know if Burrow's going to make enough big offensive plays to keep pace with Alabama. Because even if it turns, like let's say LSU can hang with them defensively, you're not going to shut Alabama down. And people could say, oh, Alabama hasn't played anybody yet. I don't know, dude. They're destroying teams. They are destroying teams. So I, you know, I don't want to hear about the schedule. This, is, this isn't like a bunch of fluky wins to get to 8-0. and So that's my early lean on that one. But I do think Tua, yeah, I think we should hear more about him, but it might just be the age thing. Uh, speaking of, I have made it down to LSU. And a lot of people are, are upset um, down, in, down in the greater Baton Rouge area all the way down to New Orleans. Because I'm going to stop in New Orleans on the way back and just for the Rams game, not for the strippers. So there's a lot of grief about uh, Devin White, linebacker from LSU, being hit with that targeting call uh, against Mississippi State. And it was a terrible call. And Devin White led with his hands and 
he gets tossed. Now he's missing the first half of the game. And so now there are some people, this is all over the place in the South. Um, people think that it was done on purpose so that Devin White, who's one of the best defensive players for LSU, maybe arguably their best, that he won't be there for the first half of the Bama game. And that's the SEC offices that overrule any of the targeting stuff and upheld it. And that because they upheld it in the offices in Birmingham, that this is why this is all happening. And there's actually been a, a line of, of guys getting tossed against Bama this year. Donovan Wilson in the AM game, Therese Hall, who's Missouri's best player. He was ejected. And that was, that was kind of a tough one. Um, I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember that one. I think I was more mad maybe that Hall was out of the game because I wanted to watch him. Um, Tennessee lost a guy, and this this has gone on. And my whole thing is like conspiracy guys. It, you know, nothing. It's it's hard to compare anything to racism, but like if you always think something's a conspiracy theory, you're a tough one to talk to. But then does it mean that all of them aren't true? So it's the same thing. If if you were somebody who says everything is racist, we're probably not going to talk about a ton of stuff. But on the other side, if like you're one of those guys who thinks it's all made up and nothing actually is racist, like you're kind of, I don't know, you, you like you don't think any of this stuff is real. You don't think any of these things that are happening, like you're that's ridiculous. So you know, it's it's tough to have a conversation with either person on either side of that, right? So James Carville wrote an op-ed for a newspaper down there accusing this whole conspiracy thing. That was for the uh, the Baton Rouge advocate where this whole thing is this big sting operation to make sure Alabama is protected as the most valuable brand of the SEC as another chance to go ahead and win a national championship. First of all, Alabama doesn't need anybody's help. Um, and Carville's from Louisiana. Side note, Carville met him. Invited to his house once when it was the New Orleans Super Bowl. So that's Baltimore, San Francisco was with uh, Van Pelt. And it's actually really funny how this all worked out. But we got this invite and somehow the publicist got in touch with our people and said, hey, does Scott Ryan want to go to Carville's house tonight for a party? And a lot of times you get invited to that stuff. You're like, yeah, I'll go. And then it's day of and you go, I don't want to deal with this. But we wanted to go. And it was sold as Carville's a huge Van Pelt fan, right? So this is a bit of a story time here, and I'll get to the end of this college football stuff, and then I'll do another advertisement read, and then we'll do some NFL things, okay? So stick with me. So we um, we roll, like, we're told, oh, like, Carville, like, it was being sold as if Carville was the biggest Van Pelt fan you've ever heard of, okay? And he's like, man, I loved his stand-ups golf channel. He's just incredible. And so we roll over and I brought a date because um, I'd, I'd known a girl in, in, in that area. And we roll in and Carville had no clue who we were. None. And Scott started to do a gracious like, hello. Uh, and Jim's like, hey, yep, yep. Food's back out in the back. And, you know, we're over there. And I was just looking, we're both looking at each other because I think we were going to bail and not go. And then the only reason that we went is because we thought Carville was obsessed with Van Pelt. And then we like, look at each other and go, yeah, he doesn't know who you are at all. And I knew he didn't know who the hell I was. I mean, you know, I, I didn't even have a ringer pod then, but I, I just knew it was just one of those things. It was like a great Van Pelt moment with me just being friends. We're just looking at each other going like, oh my God. And I, that's that's exactly what it was because we didn't want to go day of. And it had nothing to do with him. It's just you're there. You've been there for a bunch of days. You know, I usually probably want to go to the gym and then, you know, do my own thing. And Scott just would text me a thousand times, ask me what I was doing, who I was with, and if he should come with no intention of ever leaving his hotel room ever Ever, okay? And then you'd find out and be like, actually, I went to this private party with Wheels Up. There was like six people there, and they were all awesome. Sorry. Sorry I didn't tell you. Where were you? 
Razus. All right, cool. So, um, so, so there's that part of it. Here's the thing. The, the party was awesome, though. There was great food in the back. So I got to make sure that it was this perfect old New Orleans house with the front porch. It was gorgeous. They had lights strung up all over the place. And then I remember being outside, and there's a couple things that happened. Um, the music started playing. I was like, man, I'm not a huge Dr. John guy, but I was like, that sounds like Dr. John. It's like, man, they put on, that's cool. They put on some Dr. John records. And then I walk into the lounge area, which is fancy houses have like different names for rooms that people don't really know about. And I, I don't forget what the hell their room was called. And it was actually Dr. John sitting there playing piano, singing. And if you know anything about Dr. John, he's actually incredible. This bluesy kind of Cajun, you know, mix up of things. Like a lot of you younger guys are listening here. Here's it. Ask your mom. She likes him. And then if you have an uncle who was way ahead of everybody else on the decriminalization of marijuana, he probably knows who he is too. Not to say that like only people obsessed with weed like Dr. John. I'm just, I got a bunch of theories. I'm not sure if any of these are right or not, but I'm just working on a bunch of them. Okay. So Dr. John's like actually in the living room and I'm like, holy shit, this is incredible. It actually like sounded pretty good. And then like old people start dancing and then, you know, there's always like a, some, well, I don't want to make it sound that old because, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's sort of like, wait a minute, somebody's going to ask me to dance. And then you know, somebody went up to Van Pelt to like dance. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to get really bad because Van Pelt hates dancing. But it was a really good party outside. Rick Riley had an interesting line at some point. It was really weird. Like the Saints come marching in played. And I think he turned to my date and I and said, hey, why don't we go and march on in? I was like, whoa. And then Bunk Moreland was there from The Wire. Wendell Pierce. Just remembered his real name. Actors like it when you can remember their real name. And he was out there. And he talked to my... The date was cute. She was cute. All right? I'm not going to lie about it. And if she wasn't, I would just left that part out. But then again, I probably wouldn't have brought her to James Carville's house. Um, but yeah, Carville didn't care. Van Pelt, hell, we got Bunk Moreland over there. I did run into Lester Freeman once, who I don't remember his name, from The Wire. And it was a really brief encounter. It was New Orleans. And I'm pumped that it wasn't like Boston hammered guy thing where you're like, dude, oh my God. Can No, I get it. But can I just tell you? No, honestly, dude, Lester, hold on. Dude, I know you've heard this like a bazillion times. But the wire is honestly the best show ever. No, dude, honest. Like, not for nothing. I friggin' love The Wire. No, I said, I, I instead I was like, hey, man, nice to meet you. I'm Ryan. He's like, oh, I've now again, I'm, I could have Googled it, but I had other stuff to do. I had to look at Iowa's schedule. And I was like, The Wire's my favorite show. And in a very cool Lester Freeman way, it went. Mine, too. That was it. So yeah, yeah. Carville's like, we're good, Van Pelt. We got, we got Dr. John in here and Buck Moreland's outside holding it down. So we're good. So anyway, my whole point is James Carville's like the advisor to the Clintons forever. And he's pissed off about a targeting call against his favorite team and is telling everybody it's a conspiracy theory. Okay. And here's the deal. How about this theory? You ever watch any football on the weekends? You probably do. If you're listening to dual threat podcast, do people mess up targeting calls all the time? They do, don't they? So it was a bad call. It was a really bad call. Early lean, man, it's Bama. I was there for the last LSU win, that 9-6 game in Tuscaloosa. But I don't know. I can't wait to get down there. I can't wait to go to walk-ons, see the crew. We rolled down there a couple years ago. That was the deepest crew ever. Um, 
trying to think of everybody that was involved. We had a we had a really good, really good squad for that. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this one goes. I'm going to talk about quarterbacks and an amazing rookie quarterback stat that is out there for you to consume and is not being talked about enough. Before I do this NFL stuff here, I want to run through something we have going on here with our friends from Burrow. Burrow makes clever, uncompromising furniture for modern life at home. And as the days get shorter and the weather gets colder, you know you're going to be spending more time at home and on the couch. Tell me about it, brother. Make sure that's time well spent with a sofa from Burrow. Burrow's sofas are handmade in North Carolina with sturdy, sustainable sourced hardwood and fabric that is naturally scratch and stain resistant. Burrow is designed for comfort with a low armrest that's the perfect height for resting your head. I need to get one of these then. All right, so send me over a sofa, Kyle. Burrow sofas are exactly 17 inches off the ground. I love this because that's the average height from the bottom of a person's foot to the back of their knee, even if they're jacked. That's not in there. Burrow offers stress-free shopping. You can easily customize your sofa online without needing a trip to a dimly lit warehouse on the other side of town. And shipping is always fast and free. So I'm going to check out Burrow because I'm thrilled about this 17-inch gap deal. And that's my deal. I'm excited to get involved with Burrow. You should too. Let's talk some NFL now. So uh, everybody hates the Giants, by the way. And my Giants theory holds up all – this is one of the all-timers. I should make more money because of it. I did this – like just I went crazy about the Giants. I can't stand watching them. Thank God their Monday Night Football game against Atlanta went up against uh, – what was it? Oh, the Celtics Magic. So I was there. I made a joke about it even. And then guess what? It holds up. They had like three points the entire game. And then they made it look respectable. So historically, it'll look like they got 20 points. I guess technically they did. But did you have fun watching that game on Monday? No, you didn't. I didn't even need to wait for an answer. So we have all that stuff. So I'm going to start looking at some of the quarterbacks because when I started the season, I said, really, it's about two tops, three teams that going into week one don't have some sort of plan. They may not love their guy, but it's either a new guy they're figuring out, an old guy that they're going to stick with for another year. But it's felt like, and I've said this all the time, the quarterback position is healthier now than it's ever been. And you should never listen to any football analyst that says, oh, there's just not enough quarterbacks to go around. You can't say that every single year. Just some teams aren't going to have them. There's never been a situation where it's 32 teams and they have. So, like, don't tell me that. Uh, I know it's the penalties, but it's not just the penalties. There's also systems. All right? So we've done all this stuff, right? Sports are evolving. They're evolving faster than ever before. Baseball doesn't care about starters. No one cares about two strikes. Basketball shooting in small lineups. Football is passing, passing, passing. And, yes, some of that is because of the penalties, but I don't think if the penalties were the same, we'd still be seeing fullbacks and everybody running it up the middle, which essentially are wasted plays. So – Quarterbacks, not a rookie, but first year in QBR. If you look at the top five guys, it's Mahomes, Breeze, Goff, Rivers, and Brady. Pretty good group. Mahomes continues to just blow me away that he's this good this soon. And it's not just the arm, the athleticism. It's not just their system and all the moving pieces. And Sunday night did such a great job of breaking down how tough it is for a defense to keep your eyes locked in on guys just with all of these moving parts and like a secondary movement. It's sick. But Mahomes is still the guy that has to make all these throws. He's the one that has to read the defense. And in certain moments, depending on like game situation and the tempo that they want to go with, this dude's already like on that. It's it's incredible. And I'm so happy that Collins were said on that on that breakdown. Um, 
and I, you know, I've mentioned this all week, but I just, I feel that way that Collins was like, I watch his Texas tech tape and this is impressive as physically gifted as, as he is. He's a completely different guy, decision-making and, and his awareness and being locked in and it's happening right now. And he's up there with three hall of famers. Yeah. Rivers is going to make the hall of fame and Goff, who's been terrific now since that disastrous first year with Jeff Fisher and Mahomes is ahead of him. Okay. So that's one stat. He's ahead of a bunch of other people and other ones too. But what about the bottom five? This quarterback class may turn out to be one of the great ones of all time. It was being billed that way as depth in the draft this past year. But your bottom five guys are Baker Mayfield at 39.5 out of 100, Darnold, Josh Rosen, Ryan Tannehill, not a rookie, and Josh Allen, last place of all qualifying quarterbacks with a QBR of 29. So there's a range of 39 to 29. So your four rookies without Lamar of the first rounders here, your four rookies are four of the worst five quarterbacks in QBR. And it's funny because when Darnold started off, it was insane, right? And then it wasn't. And that's fine. I still love Darnold. I even like Josh Rosen. They've already fired his coordinator. And I don't know what the I don't know if it's going to be one of those things where he sucks or it's a bad beginning and then it screws everything out. But, you know, look, my rule is always if you're going to be great, you'll find a way to be great and you're just going to be great somewhere. Steve Young's a great example of that. Josh Allen, I understood every argument for him and every argument against him. And yeah, I probably would have had our time moving up for him to go ahead and grab him. So, I, you know, and everybody loves Baker and Baker puts up some of these numbers and these stat lines. You go, okay. And the Baker excitement is a, is really, it's not a buy. It's directly related to the fact of what Cleveland has been. And it's been a disaster at that position. So now you have a dude, he goes one, he wins the shootout with Darnold comes in, saves the day in the second half, first win in the Browns forever. And they've been competitive. It feels like they're going to tie every single week. But he's actually statistically, on some other metrics, had some really bad games here. And that's okay. And I think this isn't a knock on any of those guys. I'm not knocking any of them, really, now that I think about this. And I hope that that's been conveyed. It's actually, even though it's Mahomes' first year playing, and I know he sat the year, the fact that Mahomes is doing what he's doing in his first year of playing, what's supposed to happen is what's happening with these rookies. And at least by QBR standard, they've been terrible. And you know what? Two are going to be busts. Two are probably going to end up being busts. And that's just the math on it. Uh, 50% of the first rounders end up being busts. Here's a couple other QBR notes. And I'm just going to run through this now and then get to the quarterbacks where you could say, okay, there's a real concern now with this guy. Trubisky's 10th. <laughs> now, Trubisky's had three incredible statistical games. He had the 354 and six touchdowns against Tampa when Tampa looked like, I, I don't know what was going on. Were they, do they have team parties? Like, do they do mimosa brunch that day and then kick off? So their defense was bad. That would be a bad party. Like everybody. And yes, I've, I've read all of your Chad Kelly jokes. There's nothing I can do, man. Hotel key worked on the wrong door. Um, so anyway, Trubisky against that Tampa D that may or may not have mimosas. Um, Miami. He threw 316, three touchdowns, only one pick against them. Against New England, where I watched that whole game, I thought he was terrible. And the 320, or excuse me, 333, he comes up with some weird yards in there. Hail Mary at the end, two touchdowns, two picks. I thought he was terrible, okay? But his his QBR puts him at 10th because QBR is a little, I think, favorite. I don't know if it's favoritism. I think running quarterbacks that are good running quarterbacks, and here's a here's a news alert for you. Could Trubisky be the best running quarterback in the NFL? <gasps> Can you even say that? I'm just saying. I don't like. I'm not saying Lamar Jackson, but Lamar's not a starter yet. All right, but it's just something that you just file that away. 
He's terrific at running. I don't think he's very good at throwing, and I don't know if he's ever going to be. And yet he's had those kind of statistical uh, statistical games. And honestly, the running QBs always get a bump in QBR. Okay, so who's unhappy? Who's making a change? Buffalo, you can't you can't do that with Josh Allen yet. We know the plan at least for a couple of years. Miami, Tannehill. Uh, I would think they're ready to move on from Tannehill after this year. Jacksonville and Bortles. Okay, so Bortles got his starting job back. He called himself the scapegoat for everything, and then people made goat jokes, which is actually pretty funny. Goat overused, by the way. He signed a three-year contract extension in February, which guaranteed Bortles basically going to be around for two years. Okay, so it's $21 million for a cap hit in 2019. And if they were to cut him, it would be a dead money figure of 16 and a half million. So I was picking this up from some of our notes from the guys here at the ringer. Okay. So if they were just to straight up cut him at 16 and a half million, he'd be making more than any other player on the rosters, uh, excuse me, on the roster singular. That's weird. So they're probably not going to cut him. Right. So the way I've dug through this is it would, would a team, would a team trade for Bortles? You know, like, look, let's face it. Bortles was part of a team that had a great defense last year, and he had some moments. The game he had against New England, he was insane. He was so good in that game. But that's just not who he is. Like, he can do it every now and then. You know, look, some of you guys have kids out there that still pick their nose and eat it, and they're six. But they'll they'll get 90 on a spelling quiz sometimes, too. But it doesn't mean... They're going to stop picking their nose anytime soon until their friends like start saying like, hey, booger eater, stop it. Or that kid's going to be 12 eating lunch by himself. You know, are we even talking about Bortles anymore? I'm not sure. OK, <laughs> so his number for 2019 is 21 million. So I don't think they can just cut the dude. So then could they trade him? OK, so let me dig through my cap notes here. The Jets. And I think this is a ringer thing here. So I forget who had it. I apologize. You guys are all awesome. Um the theory here would be, would the Jets trade for a Bortles because they have so much cap space? And you're going, wait a minute, didn't you just tell me how great Sam Darnold was despite his QBR sucking? But the Jets could pull a Cleveland Browns where they have so much cap space on the books, $106 million in 2019, that they take on Bortles 20, charge Jacksonville a pick. This is all coming from this ringer piece. It's basically, again, what Cleveland did with Houston. I think what Cleveland did was excessive. I, I thought that our front office were like, Oh, look at this. We got an asset for this. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it was really as worth it for him, but I can kind of understand what's $106 million for them. But it just feels like whatever this Bortles thing is, it's not going to end, at least financially. The financial motivations are not going to change until 2019 season is over. Okay, so that's what we have going on there. Um, Denver. This is really important because Keenum, his year last year was a fluke. 22 touchdowns, 7 picks, 3,500 yards. But... It wasn't, that's not who he was. And that's why Minnesota, yeah, they could have maybe brought him back, but they probably knew that's not who he was. And then you go, okay, so they gave Cousins all this money. because That that probably should scare you more if you were Denver about Keenum. And now here's Keenum, whose touchdown interception split is eight and nine, so nine picks. He's behind only Darnold right now, so second most in the NFL. Percentage numbers are down. Yards per average are down, okay, slightly. It's, it's not the end of the world. But I went through it again. He's had like 20 starts in his career, and we all know who those went before he had the 2017 season in Minnesota. And his QBR is about half this year of what it was last year. And it's not just interceptions. 
and the fumbles that he's had, but I don't think he's lost those. But it's it's picks in the red zone. It's picks getting into point scoring territory. And it's then leads to, wait a minute, if you're saying all this, Ryan, and you're just a podcaster, what was Denver thinking? Here's the thing. Like, I've had a lot of guys back at ESPN argue with me about Elway. And I think Elway's really good, but he's had a bad run of it lately. Um, Elway has put together a great defense, a defense that was outstanding last year, and I still think it's really good this year. I think if you look at their defensive numbers, I think they're eighth. Um, But this was a marriage out of necessity because Elway has done a bad job with the quarterbacks, okay? After, and I'm going to sum all this up here. Um, I don't know why he took Paxton Lynch in the first round either, okay? Trevor Simeon looked like it was working on, and then it regressed. I don't want to hear about Zach Dysart as a seventh rounder out of the league and then the Chad Kelly stuff. Again, I've read all your jokes the last couple of days. Uh, the seventh rounder is being cut. I, I don't want to hear about it. I don't know why I took on Paxton, but I know why I took, took on Keenum, even if he and his front office didn't love Keenum because it was this marriage out of necessity. They're going, look, we have this defense that is, and I'm going to look this up as I'm talking, but a defense that's incredible. And I still think even some of their last year defensive numbers are lower than what they actually were as a defense because there's... The defense at some point, human nature kicks in and goes, this sucks. This sucks playing for the Browns. We can't do anything on offense. So their defensive DVOA, which I think is pretty good here, is eighth um, this year. And I think it dropped last year. Like I'm going to look at last year's number and I'm going to refute it immediately because I still think talent-wise and what they're capable of, Denver was 10th. They were 10th in DVOA last year. I think if they'd had an average quarterback, average offense that threatened anybody and they didn't, uh, you would have you would have had a much better overall defensive number from them. Okay, so now with Keenum, and I think you can even look at the structure of the contract here and know that Denver knew deep down, and maybe even Keenum knew deep down. Uh, like, look, we're going to do a two year deal. It was thirty six million, but the guaranteed money puts you at twenty five million. So I don't have the dead money number. It might be. It, it might just be as simple as that. It might be a ten million dollar dead cap number for them. And just go, all right, you know, this wasn't it. But then, as one of our ringer guys pointed out, it's like, would they ever just say, okay, you know what? This quarterback thing hasn't worked out. It's tough to get one at the first at the end of the first round. And that's that's the other thing I don't like about the anti-Elway thing is like, you want to tell me Elway can't get it right with quarterbacks? Like he got it right with Peyton Manning. You're like, well, Peyton Manning just went there and bailed Bill John out. Well, Peyton wasn't very good the second year when they won the Super Bowl. And the defense that John put together built that. I don't know why I'm talking about Owen in the first name. I've met him zero. T- oh, no, I did meet him once. I did meet him once. I was with Danny Canal Super Bowl party, San Francisco, and Elway came over and give, gave Canell a huge, hearty hello and hug and, and said, Danny, you're always part of the Bronco family. Where Elway, when he walked away, Canell and I laughed so hard. Because I don't, when I think Danny Cannell, I don't think Bronco family. And I think when Danny Cannell thinks Danny Cannell, I don't think he thinks Bronco family either. And I'm pretty sure when people, whoever they are, are in the Bronco family, I don't think they ever think Danny Cannell. But I did meet Elway once. And the reason I, I stick up for him is that Peyton Manning had his choice to go to any quarterback strap team, and he picked Denver because of Elway. So if you're going to win and play in two Super Bowls, and then have this stretch where Paxton Lynch ends up being the boss, Simeon regress, the other picks, whatever. You overpay Keenum, but you paid Keenum. I don't even know if it's an overpay. You paid him because you're like, can you at least be average here? And it hasn't even been average. It's been dangerous quarterbacking instead of this miraculous 2017 he had with Minnesota. And I can understand why they did it because like maybe we get it right with this. But the short term of the structure of the contract kind of made them feel like they probably could get out of this deal. But would they ever say this has been so bad, maybe we trade Avon Miller for assets because Miller's number goes up and up and up. $25 million hit at age 30 and 31 seasons, $22 million hit at 32. 
if you were to say, let's get this out of here now, because I think Miller is going to have the 10th largest hit cap hit in 2019 and all of the other guys. So he's 10th players, one through nine and 11 through 18 are all quarterbacks. Okay. So like, what are we doing? I don't even know if they would do that, but would they do a Vaughn Miller thing to get assets now to say, you know, look, we tried it with this thing. Miller's going to be older. Let's try to gather assets now to go after and get a quarterback, get the quarterback right here and do that over. So some of you listening to this just think Elway sucks and somehow the defense has bailed him out. I, I just don't buy that. I think he's had some mistakes here. It's been a bad run of it. I don't, again, I don't know why I took Paxton Lynch either. I watched him. I was like, this is weird. Like Elway likes him that much. And then McShay and those guys are like, no way, not at all. McShay didn't like him at all. And I defer to McShay on that kind of stuff. But when Elway was talking to Peyton Manning, like here's here's just a little tidbit. When Peyton Manning was making the rounds, he went to Elway and Elway said, hey, I get it. At the end of my career, I knew what I needed. And I'm going to do the exact same thing for you. We're going to have a great defense. You know, we're not going to have Terrell Davis, but whatever you want to do, we'll make it comfortable, we'll make it your system, and we'll make sure you're comfortable. And Peyton's like, okay. Peyton Manning had the same conversation with Jim Harbaugh. I was told this. And Harbaugh was sitting there, playing catch with him, Harbaugh actually said to Manning, looks like you've lost a little something on your arm, which proves once again what a psycho Harbaugh is. <laughs> and then when Peyton was here, he's like, what if I were to come here in San Francisco, like, what are we going to run? And Harbaugh said, we're going to run my stuff. And Peyton's like, well, okay. But, I, you know, I mean, no, we're just going to run Jim's stuff. He may have even said third person Jim. We're going to run Jim's stuff. Nobody has it better than us, so Doyle rules. And Peyton's like, peace, dude, peace. I'm going to go to Denver. So I think John does deserve uh, credit for that. So what do we have here? We have Jacksonville not happy on the not happy list. Buffalo doesn't count. Miami's on the not happy list. Denver's in the TBD thing here, but it's not great the first half of the season. Tampa, Jameis had a $21 million option picked up for 2019. I can't imagine that they're happy. I don't know what to make of any of that. Washington, Alex Smith's been okay, but they're four and two. So that covers up the fact that he's had three, maybe four blah games, but he's 34. He's under contract. His was a four year deal off of the extension of what he already had. It's going to pay him 71 million guaranteed. So it's more of a three year deal. Um, so he's, he's going to be there. So, and they're fine. They're fine with that. The giants we've already talked about with Eli, they can be out of this thing. And it doesn't, it's funny because Eli's at 23.3 or 23.2 million next year. If you cut him, it's only 6 million in dead money. So I don't understand why anybody was going to trade for him. And I also love that everybody that has Eli going to the Jags with the Bortles problem, and they have their own $20 million option to worry about next year. Uh, and again, six million in dead money is not nearly as bad as what the dead money would be for Bortles. But Jacksonville's like, we're good. We can see him too. Eli hasn't looked great. So we can add the Giants to that list. Carr, too much money owed, although the structure of that contract was kind of interesting when I dug into it. And the final one is Dak Prescott. Okay. Dak still has one more year, 800000 The way the CBA works, they negotiate after his three years in the league, which would be after this year. Some teams do it. Like, I thought the Russell Wilson deal was done early. Some teams just say, hey, quarterback going rate, beach property, this is what we're going to do. I think Dallas will probably end up doing that. I know that there was a deal with Romo where they took care of him earlier. Eli's been taken care of a million times. So some organizations just take care of the quarterback a little bit earlier. So I think that's what will end up happening here. But I'm going to run through a couple Dak notes for you uh, that are going to blow your mind. Maybe not blow your mind, but you'll go, hey, that was a really good factoid, and I'm glad I stayed towards the very end. 
The fall sports season is one of the hardest times of year to get through without a cable subscription. Seriously. God, I didn't even like reading that sentence. But now with ExpressVPN, you can stream all of your favorite teams in any sport on your computer, phone, tablet. ExpressVPN is the biggest secret cable companies don't want you to hear about. ExpressVPN can get you any IP address in the world, letting you access sports streams available in other countries. This is sick. It also lets you securely use the internet without being tracked. ExpressVPN keeps your online activity private and anonymous while you browse, email, download, or stream. They're easy to use. App encrypts your internet data and hides your IP address, protecting your entire connection. ExpressVPN costs less than seven bucks a month and runs seamlessly in the background of computers, phones, or tablets. So here's how you're going to do it. This is how we're going to get it done, all you soccer guys out there. To unlock access to the streaming content you want today and find out how you can get up to three months free, go to ExpressVPN. That's VictorPageNielsen.com slash dual threat, D-U-A-L. That's Express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash dual for three months free with a one-year package. Visit ExpressVPN.com slash dual to learn more. So as we finalize that list, yes, it is. We can't too early with Chicago. We're not going to do that. Jacksonville, Miami, the Giants, Denver, TBD, Tampa. I don't think so with Derek Carr. No one, Washington. Some of you guys think I'm just going to do that because of my Alex Smith stuff. But no, like I wanted to point out his contract. Dak, speaking as we do this full circle. I'm saying speaking a lot today. Um, Dak was third as a rookie in QBR. <laughs> you want to know the group? Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Then you're going, yeah, but then he sucked. Mm. He was fourth in QBR in his second year. Now QBR, again, not the end-all be-all. As I said, helps the running quarterbacks a lot. When you look at the overall numbers, you know, he just was so good protecting the football as a rookie. You're like, this guy is awesome. And then it started slipping. Now it feels even worse. And now his QBR is 21st. But I would be really surprised if Dallas is moving on from him. I think Dallas looks at their mistakes and goes, well, we were still right about all of these guys. So we'll just try it again next year. Like, duh. We picked him. Yeah, we gave up a first for Amari Cooper. That's insane to me that they gave up. a, And that's weird. Maybe the trade market's different, but hasn't always felt like you know, going back to being a kid and loving the NFL as long as we all have, that you go, why do really get good players? Like, why do they only get fifth rounders for them? Like, that's stupid. And then it felt like Belichick did that for a bunch of years in a row where he just started trading fourth and fifth rounders for really good players. And then, like, seventh rounders for guys that sucked and never were going to play. But, um, yeah, that's where we are with the quarterbacks. Please subscribe to all of our content and uh, check out Dual Threat. Leave a review. Let us know how you feel about it. I didn't do live mailbag today. I feel like that may have been a miss. No? We got more time. Do you want me to? Uh, I don't know. I think we're over an hour already, right? Oh, I mean, we got more episodes. We got more episodes. Yeah, we can do, we can do, oh, no, no. I, I gotta, there's something I need to give the people. There's something people want. Um, so I have to, I have to do that for them before we say goodbye. And I think you know what it is. Because people are on this now. It's you terrific. got the trivia going? Yeah. We're going to do this week's Chris Fowler trivia. Okay, here we go. Because it's baseball. We didn't do any baseball in today's podcast. And can you please get me a cut of Chris Fowler saying anything ever? I can do that. All right. So here's, here's our other. We're doing live production on the podcast. 
Can you get Liz to voice this? This week on Chris Fowler Trivia. What pitcher holds the record for most... Cy Young! (laughs) Talk to you next week.